Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Let's begin reading this morning in verse number 8. And before we begin reading, I just want to remind you that I do believe that there's a flow to these two chapters that begins with discussing what oppression is early in chapter 4. And then he wrestles through the difficult territory of rivalry and competition. So oppression and competition and what the devil loves to do with those in isolation, to be careful not to be isolated, and then um, what we often struggle with in our culture in relationship to position. But then the Lord brought us to the wisdom of adoration last week. He gave us some time to just pause and to consider our Lord together and some wisdom truths and principles in relationship to how we approach worship. Now that our hearts are settled in understanding what worship is and how we are to approach it and to enjoy it, um, just like Sundays are to our lives, where we on Monday get to go back out into uh, this world for Christ's sake and use the, the encouragement that we receive together on Sunday, so the text moves us from adoration to two more topics that are... Um, often topics of tension when discussed in our culture and even in your home and often, unfortunately, in churches as well. So this morning, we're going to study what wisdom has to say to and in relationship uh, to bureaucracy and finance. Wisdom addresses bureaucracy and finance. So let's read through these verses together, and we'll go back. And that's going to be just simply our two-point outline this morning. Verses 8 and 9, wisdom's addressed to bureaucracy and how we are to apply God's wisdom to understanding bureaucracy and politic, if you will. And then wisdom's addressed to finance. Verse 8. If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. For one official watches over another official and there are higher officials over them. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage their own owners accept to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. Then those riches were lost through a bad investment, and he had fathered a son, and there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother, mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind. Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. But again, he concludes this second full section of the book of 
Ecclesiastes similarly to the way that he finished it in chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. He says in verse 18 to 20, Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting to eat and to drink and to enjoy oneself and all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. For this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has gifted riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. I don't want these two topics, and I would believe the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, does not want us to be uncomfortable discussing the topics of bureaucracy, politic, or finance. And we're going to see Solomon's wisdom here in relationship how these can be much more easy conversations to, to have and to maintain if necessary from time from time to time. I don't think when we understand a biblical theology of bureaucracy and finance altogether that these are hard topics to discuss. When once we understand what the Bible says about them, when we're governed by the Spirit, as word-saturated people, these are kind of easy conversations to have. Right? I would believe that the devil would want these to be hard conversations to have because the devil loves to divide, doesn't he? Instead of unify. And so let's look at uh, Solomon's wisdom here in relationship to these two topics and, and as we apply his wisdom, understanding together why these are simple and easy conversations to have as opposed to what we may have experienced in the past. Wisdom's instruction in relationship to bureaucracy. Well, let's talk a little bit here about what Solomon's not saying, okay? What Solomon's not saying. He's not saying that any government is as corrupt as another. He's not saying that. He's not saying that Christians are to be activists thwarting the ills of the government under which they live. Doesn't say that in this context or any context. He's certainly not saying our focus should be distracted from our divine mission for which he's placed us or placed any man in their particular country, empire, or politic. The Christian's focus remains the same as the conclusion of the book that we've already reiterated in the opening comments and outline of the book. The conclusion of all things is to fear God and to keep his commandments. And we're reminded what it means to really rejoice in God again at the end of this section, which we'll close with this morning. But the believer can live through the tyranny or the lack thereof of any government and still stay focused on fearing God and keeping his commandments and living their eternal mission, okay? The Christian's pledge of allegiance never changes regardless who's in power over what country in which you may live or come from. What Solomon says is this, and it's very, very clear. He's discussing the reality of human government. He knows nations and their leaders are sovereignly appointed and removed 
by the hand of God. As Daniel says in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21, it is he, God, who changes the times and epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. So Solomon continues sharing his wisdom by helping us understand that in verse 8, it is impossible because of the human condition to expect any government that God may set up or remove to be devoid of any degree of corruption. So what's the reality? God gave us the institution of human government. It's very, very simple to see in Genesis chapter 9. Because man's fallen, any human government is going to be corrupt to some degree. Are we all right with all that? We understand that? And the believer can never remove that degree of corruption from the society in which they dwell. Solomon's saying here these are just two realities that are going to be unchangeable. There will always be human governments, and because we're fallen, there will always be corruption within those governments. What does he say here in verse 8? And the language really can be stated, since you see oppression, if you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province... So Solomon's not surprised that those in authority with any particular bureaucracy are corrupt to some measure. I think it's good to cross-reference here in your Bibles next to verses 8 and 9. What we've already studied in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he's already discussed the oppression of local national or global political leaders. It's just part of who they are in their fallenness. Certainly we have a God of justice, and when he established the nation of Israel, he desired a rule by God that was fair and equitable. And he gave over 1,100 laws to ensure justice and fairness as such. Leviticus 19 in verse 15, he says, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. In that Mosaic community with the nation of Israel, he goes on to say in Deuteronomy 24 and verse 17, You shall not pervert the justice due to an alien or to an orphan, nor to take a widow's garment and pledge. God never intended oppression in any bureaucratic reality, but man's fallen. Even the leaders of the nation of Israel were broken and needed to be mended by Christ. And even Christian leaders, even as we've known them today, although they're saved, can still do unwise things in their decision-making. The reality is there's governments. The reality is there's always going to be some form or degree of corruption in any human government, in any bureaucracy. But the Pledge of Allegiance for a believer never changes. 
right? We love our God, we love his word, we grow in our love for each other, and we continue to grow in our love for lost people in our community right where the Lord Jesus has placed us. Amen. We prayed for our students this morning, we prayed for our teachers. Those students are gonna be under the levels of authority, those teachers are certainly gonna be under levels of authority. And in both environments, whether a student or a teacher, there's always going to be some degree of corruption in any level of human authority because we're all fallen. That's in microcosm what we all endure in macrocosm in our whole country, let alone the world. But the mission of a student, the mission of a teacher, the mission of a citizen in a country never changes. Never changes. Let your light so shine <laughs> that they may see your good works and come to glorify your Father that is in heaven. Right? We live our lives regardless of where we live, what country we live, what state or municipality we live. We live our lives with eternal mission and purpose. So he says here, if you see oppression, if you see oppression, verse 8, of the poor, in denial of justice and righteousness in the province, it says here, do not be shocked. Your version might actually say, do not marvel. Do not marvel. The Hebrew word here, as it's studied throughout the Old Testament, means to be filled with fear and anxiousness to the point of running away from the rule and really running away from the degree of the corruption of the rule that you just don't like or that you've become afraid of. Right? The believer is not to live their lives. Wisdom would say the believer is not to live their lives shocked or in marvel or scared or anxious to the point where they just want to get out. Since they can't change, I'm going to get out. That's not the mindset of a believer. Why? Because that's not our mission to clean up the corruption in government. Our mission is what? Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen. Understanding there's two realities we can never change. Human government and degrees of corruption within. We just can't. Because we're fallen. So let your light shine. I wrote here in the margin of my Bible, Philippians 4. Right? 7 and 8, 6 and 7 and 8, really. Be anxious for nothing. I wrote there in the margin of my Bible, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, take no thought for tomorrow. Don't be anxious. I wrote there in the margin of my Bible, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. And right before that, it says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. And he will exalt you in due time. All right? And right underneath that, I said, have a perspective. And right underneath that, Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. The Christian, above anyone else in any culture, is able to remain calm with the proper perspective when it comes to living underneath the authority of a God established government that happens to be corrupt to any certain degree. And wisdom would say here, look, if 
you're distracted, don't be shocked. Basically, wisdom saying here, guys, look, get a grip. <laughs> you're not here to clean up your government. Right? There's only going to be one clean government. And that's the thousand-year reign of Jesus, right? Amen. So stop being anxious about cleaning up your government. And be my child. Live with my purpose right where you are. And by the way, when you look at the conclusion of the second major section that we've already read, it's really hard to live a rejoicing, joyful life if you're living marveled and shocked all the time you're not going to be known as a really happy person. Right? Don't lose your focus. Stay focused. I know that we've seen a lot of anxiety in our own culture across the globe, even in the last couple of weeks, even in South America and Hong Kong and different places. So friend, let's not marvel. Let's not be shocked. The Lord has placed us right where he would have us for his eternal purpose. Politic may want to be alarming. Politic may desire to be distracting. Politic may desire to be alluring. And politic, as we've already read, will always be unjust to some degree or another. And politic may appeal to your emotions, whether it be happy or mad or whatever emotion it appeals to. And Solomon saying, look, the believer... Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Stay focused. He goes on to say here, in the latter part of verse 8, for one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. Basically what Solomon's saying here, wisdom teaches us that there's small governments and there's large governments. The larger the country, the larger the government, it's going to be more natural to have more layers of people overseeing people who are overseeing people who are overseeing people. Solomon is not decrying bureaucracy. He's not decrying government. Why? Genesis 9, God established it. And believe it or not, God establishes every government and every nation. And he tears them down when it's his time. And you say, how could God do that? He just does. But for the believer here, regardless you live under the tyranny of communist China, or whether you live under the tyranny right, of Muslim leaders, extremists in the 1040 window, what's your responsibility? Right? Whether you love our current president or don't, stop being shocked. Stop marveling and start living with wisdom. Amen. Stop. Stop. What should be discussed more and more often is how we're personally growing in Christ and how we're helping each other to do that so we can be healthy citizens of light in our own community regardless who's in leadership. And the, the level of corruption there. The rest of it is, yeah, that, yeah that's, that's man, they're falling. It, God allowed them to come. They're there. Can't change it. So let's get back to our mission. Let's get back to our mission. Okay? You may have a translation that reads this in verse 8. One official is eyed by a higher one, and over them 
Over them are others, higher still. And the, the idea of the grammar here in that translation, which I think is a better one than New American Standard, is just even in that government structure, there are people who are seeking to be dominant over one another. And that's never going to change. It just is what it is, regardless whether you live in the good old USFA or anywhere else. The size determine the layers, and certainly if there's more layers, there's more corruption. The possibility exists, as one author said, that the larger the government, that instead of a poor man getting a proper hearing, the matter is lost in the red tape of bureaucracy. And the various government officials pocket the money that should have been distributed to the legitimately poor. And another author said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we know that's true, but that's just our reality of our existence. Let's not be shocked. Let's not be distracted. So Solomon's saying, he's not saying here that he's condoning the behavior of corruption and corrupt bureaucratic leaders. He's just saying that the condition of the human heart is what it is. And quite possibly he's saying, as one author quoted, having corruption in government, as dark as those days can be, is still better than anarchy. So as bad as you think it is, we're not living in anarchy. He goes on to say, a few dishonest people may profit from corrupt practices, but everyone benefits from any kind of organized authority. So let's get a perspective. He goes on in verse 9, and there's a really interesting phrase here, right? This is really wisdom to leaders of bureaucracies or of nations, and if you go back to the first couple of weeks where we did our overview of the book of Ecclesiastes, this was a traveled piece of wisdom literature among pagan countries. So even pagan kings can learn from this principle. Right? He says, after all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. And basically all that's simply saying is, is that an industrious and wise ruler will himself work for the people and encourage the people to work for the people because the laborer is worthy of his hire. A working people is a people that doesn't have much time to marvel or be shocked by oppression or injustice because their schedules and their calendars are too full with work. They're just obeying the dominion mandate to work. Quite frankly, the more working people there are, the less oppression there will be as well. So for the Christian, Colossians 3, verses 20, verse 22 to chapter 4 and verse 6, keep working. Keep working. Paul tells us in the pastorals, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. <laughs> keep working. Keep working. To the king, keep working. You don't work for yourself, you work for the people. And for the people, you work for yourselves and for each other. Why? Because king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the whole land. So understanding now a bit of the nature of bureaucracy and our response and responsibility to it, Solomon now turns his attention to the nature of finance and our responsibility to it. I think it's really critical for us here to note 
that the Christian is to know and apply Solomon's wisdom regarding both while not being exclusively distracted to the allure or the intrigue of one or the other. I think Solomon knew that both were going to be equal distractions of the believer's attention away from the mission as to why a believer would exist on this culture in any country. Solomon is quite clear in his language that both human government and money are temporary. The Lord would have us function in one and with the other unto divine eternal purposes. And when a believer loses their sense of spiritual purpose in any country, because they're unnaturally distracted and consumed by an unbalanced focus on politic or finance, the people of God become hopeless. But how God can use surrendered people to his divine will and purpose is quite amazing in relationship to bureaucracy and finance for eternal purposes. We'll discuss that a little bit later. We know as we crescendo to wisdom's instruction to finance that we ought never forget as believers to pray for our local, state, and national officials. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 is very, very clear that we have and must spend time in prayer for these folks for their salvation so that we can continue to lead a quiet and peaceable life. This would be New Testament wisdom. Romans 13 would teach us in so much that this, they're not asking us to particularly violate biblical virtue of conscience, that we submit ourselves to them who are over us in our politic because God has set them up to be ministers of good and not evil. And generally speaking, I still think we live in a culture where that's true. Thank goodness for us. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 is clear regarding our influence of culture as light of character, light bearers of Christ's character for the gospel's sake in our culture. And certainly we are to function prayerfully and actively like this within our particular governmental setting, never forgetting that this is no longer the place of our primary citizenship. As Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, we are citizens of another country and it's better than this one. And we keep our focus, as Abraham did, as stated in Hebrews 11, he looked for another country that's better because all we are here is dispossessed citizens. So, our brokenness of character as humans due to sin in general can lead to oppression, and oppression is seen in bureaucracy. We know how to function within it, but because we're broken, we can also misunderstand and mishandle finance. Verses 10 and following we've already read, so we'll continue on here, and we're going to highlight for you a number of different wisdom truths in relationship to finance here, beginning in verse number 10. Verse number 10 would teach us, as Kaiser points out, that human desire will always outrun acquisition. 
no matter how large the acquisition may be. Devotion to physical treasures will leave you empty, so be careful not to foolishly overvalue these treasures. Wealth will never bring you or the things that wealth can offer you ultimate satisfaction. Some may say, money may not be the number one thing in my life, but it's always ahead of number two. <laughs> be careful. Be careful. Wealth and the things that you can accumulate because of it will never bring ultimate satisfaction. For the believer, we know that the love of money certainly will never satisfy. And we know that Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things which he possesses. I think in a crowd like this, I think all of us get that first point. And I would say you probably wouldn't be here if your life was more passionate about accumulating wealth and things than it was accumulating a better understanding of who your Savior is and his word. Amen. Right? But nonetheless, let wisdom warn then to be careful. Maybe this appeal, uh, which Solomon had to apply to his own life because he had been distracted by the accumulation of wealth and the things, and he had begun to live for those things, and he's now saying, you know what? Uh, don't go where I went. Just trust me, it, they don't last. Chase after those things is like chasing after the wind. Verse 11 teaches us another principle. As Kaiser goes on to say, he says, an increase in wealth demands a corresponding increase in staff to manage it. So a common misconception is, is that money solves every problem, and Solomon's saying here, no, that's not true. The more money you have, the more people that you have to help you manage your money. And the more things that you have that money buys, there's more people involved that have to help you manage the things that money can buy. Okay. The verse teaches that the more you have, the more people there will be to, as one author put it, put their hands into your wallet and want to share in what you have. Wealth only increases instability, not stability, if, if we are living just for it and not eternal purpose. What does verse 12 teach us? Labor may bring sleep, but wealth brings sleeplessness. And the fear that a blunder may result in the loss of everything. In the loss of everything. Solomon's basically saying here that the more good you have, the less sleep you'll get. The verse is clearly stating that the common laborer sleeps better than the wealthy man. The Living Bible translation says this, that the man who works hard sleeps well, whether he eats little or much, but the rich must worry and suffer insomnia. There's an age-old issue with this even among Christians. Accumulate wealth by getting debt-free ASAP so that you can save and invest, so you can enjoy your investments in your old age. And the model has corrupted the church overall because people did the right thing. They sought to be debt-free, good. They sought to save, good. The Bible talks about that. They accumulated good, but why? 
But why? What's the purpose? The devil would love for us to obey certain biblical financial principles and mandates at the expense of the why of why we did it. Buy more houses. Get a motor home. Travel away from the church to see the country in retirement four to five months out of the year while away from the eternal purpose of the church of God is not good. That was never God's plan. Solomon, again, does not decry human government and bureaucracy because God set it up. Solomon never decries money and its influence because it's a gift from us. He says it in the closing of this chapter. Wealth and riches are a gift if you understand them as a gift from a godly perspective. Have the houses, have the motorcycles, have the motor coach. Enjoy them, but the only way you're going to enjoy them is with perspective. They're just tools that God allowed you to get so that you can live for the eternal purpose that God has given his church. That's it. Yes, enjoy them with your wife. Enjoy them with your family. Enjoy them with your friends. Enjoy them with God's people. But you have to answer the question, why? Why? If your ultimate why is going to be enjoying them just so people can enjoy them, we're falling short. When we enjoy them in God, we've got to enjoy them in Christ. And what was the mission of both? Yes, I'm sorry, but I'm kind of not that I just denounced the life of wealthy snowbirds. <laughs> now, I do know that medically some people have to go, and I would never stand away from that, stand in the way of that. I would always encourage them to let me help them find a good, like-minded church in the area where they're going to hibernate for the winter. But as a general rule, it's not biblical to be a snowbird, my friends. God never in his New Testament local church laid out any period of time outside the construct of his word for any member to be detached from the eternal purpose of their local church. You can't find it. And Solomon would back that up with this overarching wisdom and relationship to this truth that we find here in verse 12, right? You're going to bring yourself to more sleeplessness. You're going to not truly understand what it means as a believer to enjoy the fruit of your labor if you're going to decide to not take all that wisdom that you applied to accumulating wealth and divorce it from eternal purpose. And my friends, you can't take half of it and give it to eternal purpose and, you, and take the other half and give it to just temporary pleasure. You're bought with a price. Everything that's yours is God's. Every penny has to be used for Great Commission purposes. Go on vacation. Why? I want to go to Florida. Great. I want to sit on the west coast of Florida Beach. Great. Why? Because I like it. 
Why? Because I get to be with my family. Great. I like my family. Why? Because I like seafood on the west coast of Florida. It's really fresh, right? Good. Solomon says, enjoy it. Why would I want to do that? Well, because I like seafood. Good. Enjoy it. Why? Why? So I can develop my love for my wife and my family. Why? Because we're part of a local church. Why are we part of a local church? We're part of a local church. I'm investing this money and this time away to do these wonderful things so that I can make sure that they understand not my love for them, but Christ's love for them and Christ's purpose for them overall. It's to do eternal things through their local church. Regardless what you do, if you own your own private jet and you paid $150 million for it, praise God, I'm so happy for you. Why do you have it? Use it. Why? For what? You have a yacht. Praise God. Please invite me for a trip. I love fishing, right? I love to go. Solomon's not decrying wealth, else he would have had to decry the existence of himself. He's not saying that. But everything's got to be used for eternal purpose. Eternal purpose. I know the very good personal friend of mine is uh, the director of what they call IPTE at Clemson University. It stands for, um, you know, I pay... 10 all year. Years ago, when uh, permanent seat licenses were set up for the Clemson football team, permanent seat holders, and so those of you that are permanent seat holders for the Indians or Browns, you're just going to kind of chuckle at this, right? They had to pay a $10 seat license to, to make sure that they got the same seat every year. So it's IPTE, right? I pay 10 all year. Now it's more like I pay 10,000 all year, but <laughs> they still get the right to sit in that seat. Anyway, my friend Bob's a born-again man. He's a sweet saint of God. And we were driving around campus one time when one of my boys was being recruited there, and, and he was with the coaches, and we were just driving around campus, and he's a tremendous fundraiser. He oversees all fundraising for the whole of the, of the athletic department at Clemson. He's about as high, as high as you can get. And I just happened to ask him, I said, how much, how many times, how many athletes, and I was speaking specifically to football, I said, how many football athletes have given back to the University of Clemson from their first signing bonus in the NFL career? And uh, he told me just, in all the years you've been here, he's, he's been there decades, he said one. He said one. I said, you've got to be kidding me. I said, that's just shocking to me. He goes, Tim, all these boys are, they're broke within six months of signing their signing bonus long before they even get a long-term contract. I said, six months. He goes, yes, yeah, six months. He said, everyone's so absorbed with the here and now and what they can get for themselves and their family, they don't have any way to show the gratitude for everything that we've done for them and getting them set to be on the stage out there. Right? Just one. So I think Solomon would say, don't marvel, don't be shocked. This is just what people do. But for the believer, God's placed us into the family of God by his grace in Jesus Christ. All the riches of God are ours in Jesus. And because we've been gifted so much, we take his principles and we apply them to stewardship for a why. Enjoy it all. And truly rejoice in it all. If you don't, I think you'd be sinning. 
God did not call us to be hoarders. God did not call us to be stingy so we could get wealthy. God called us to enjoy. Enjoy the fruit of your labor, and you truly will. You truly will if you're living your life for eternal purpose. If you're living your life for what will last, not for what won't, as the text says. Verses 15 and 16 is clear. Wealth is not eternal in nature. You're not taking anything with you when you die. Verse 17, nevertheless, there still are men who still will spend their times and days in great sorrow and distressing over their labor. And such a goal is quite empty. Quite empty. But the conclusion of the whole thing is clear in verses 18 and 20. When you understand God's purpose for equipping you with the ability to make money regardless of the amount that you do. Remember these principles. Right? And whether you're a common laborer that's able to enjoy sleep and what you have more restfully and peacefully than someone who has wealth, regardless of the degree of your money or possessions, just remember, just remember, you cannot truly enjoy that if you're living it apart from eternal purpose. Verse 19, furthermore, as for, any, for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, don't forget, you don't have these because you decided to be just good stewards of God's principles. It's not about you. You have them because God gave you the wisdom to live by those principles. So it's God's, especially since you're owned by him and everything that you have. He has also empowered him to eat from them. So even your ability to enjoy the food that your wealth has provided is sourced in God. Understanding the source, understanding the enjoyment, understanding the purpose of both, then you can rejoice in your labor. This is God's gift to you. That you enjoy all this in him. We have an increasing number of people, sweet saints at Grace Church, you're all sweet saints because you're all in Jesus Christ. This particular group of sweet saints is increasingly seeking to practice these principles of finance, and by no means are these this comprehensive list of the principles of finance in Scripture, but just here, they're seeking to apply these. And so a number of them are coming to a point where they're able actually to move into part or full-time retirement in their some mid-50s, some 60s, some early 70s, and they're dedicating their lives for eternal purposes through the local church. I think we've got 40, 45 people with more coming. I thank God. That's a God thing. This is a group of people that no longer desires to be apart from the church for four to six months a year to get out of the snow and the cold. Some people are still staying here even though their doctors told them not to because they're shepherding each other in the word. They're shepherding others in the word. They're being shepherded by someone in the word. They see their eternal value in their homes and their neighborhoods and the, where they walk with people in the natural rhythms of life right here in Northeast Ohio. And they can't imagine being pulled away from their eternal purpose for that much time. Those are people 
that have accumulated what they've accumulated and they're enjoying what they enjoy, but they enjoy all that they've accumulated because they know its source and they know its purpose is to do it all for eternal purposes because they're part of a local church that's been given a commission. I got a call from a pastor in Florida and he was upset with me because... He, he found out that we didn't have any snowbirds in our church coming to Florida. It was affecting their winter income. Now, don't be shocked. <laughs> don't marvel. In my heart, I was kind of sad at first because I didn't want them to be mad at me. But on the other hand, I'm thinking, wow, maybe we have a group of people that really understand what it starts, needs to start living for eternal purposes. Enjoyment for the New Testament saint of everything that God's given them is never to be done apart from Great Commission local church purposes. It's just not in the Bible. And the more we understand that and we crescendo towards that reality, regardless of your age, the Spirit of God is continuing to do something here none of us have ever seen before. Amen. And I have no doubt that he's <laughs> going to stop anytime soon. Eternity is worth investing in, my friends. Invest in the invaluable. You'll never be disappointed. Did you hear what I said? Invest in the invaluable, and you'll know what it means to rejoice in God. Amen. What shall it profit a man though he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Human souls are invaluable. Invest in the invaluable, and you'll know what it means to rejoice in God and understand the Holy Spirit's blessing upon the growth of a church governed by Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for what you are doing in our church. Thank you for reminding us of these spiritual principles in relationship to bureaucracy and finance. And Lord, help us to understand and to endure and live through both and under both and with both for eternal purposes and help us not to marvel and be distracted and be anxious, but to plan and to pursue what it means to be a godly citizen and a wise steward for eternal purposes. And may we, when we're tempted to just be distracted like I am so often, wrestle our hearts and minds back to why we live in this city, state, and country, why we have what you've given us to have. May we always be willing to live as dispossessed citizens of our Home in heaven to come for eternal purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.